men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted radically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by that hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, excuse me, if, if though a Jew live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come to learn more about your word. Appreciate the opportunity that you have to worship. Thank you for all that you for your grace to save us from our sins. Please give us the wisdom and discernment to hear with our hearts to understand your word. Not only to hear your word, but that our actions as Christians will reflect the true gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Over the past uh, four weeks, we have been working through the book of Galatians, and we have specifically been talking about uh, the concept of the gospel, and getting the gospel right, and making sure that we understand what the gospel is. And the hope is, is that all of us together have come to a, a clearer understanding of what the gospel is, that it, the gospel isn't us coming to church it's not just doing good things. It's not being a good husband. It's not being a good wife. It's not being a good dad or a good mom. Uh, it's not being a good uh, Sunday school teacher. That the gospel isn't those things. That the gospel is the message that Christ has done what we could not do. And that we could not in any way earn reconciliation with God. That we couldn't do anything to earn favor with God but that Christ was sent by God, that He came and lived a perfect life, so that His perfection and His righteousness is sufficient to serve as our righteousness, that through faith, by, by trusting Him, that we're having faith in the fact that Christ is righteous and we're not, and that His death satisfied God's wrath against us, and, and that His resurrection, as we sung, as the choir sung in the opening song, that it, that it gives Him victory, and He stands in victory because of His resurrection, and therefore we stand in victory, and saying that, that in the Gospel, this is this message of hope, that all who will trust in what Christ has accomplished in His life and death and resurrection can be saved from the consequences of our sin. That we can be reconciled to God. That we can have a relationship with Him. That we can live for eternity with Him. And we've talked about these things, and we've talked about how Paul has been, has been clear to clarify these things, and he's been addressing a group of people among these churches uh, that were saying that someone not only needed to have faith in Christ, but they also needed to be circumcised. So, so that it wasn't just faith that saved someone, but it was actually keeping certain aspects of the law. And my hope is is that over these past four weeks, and as this is the, the fifth Sunday here that we've been going through the book of Galatians, that you could say, yes, Corey, I, I understand the gospel better. I understand it better. In fact, there were ways that I was distorting the gospel, that I was adding things to the gospel, that I saw that things that I was doing 
uh, I perceive them to uh, be making me uh, more righteous in the sight of God. Or they were in some way gaining favor with God because of things that I did. And that as we talk about these things intellectually or with our minds, we can maybe all come to a good consensus that this is a good way to explain these things. But as we're going to see in this passage, that not only does a mental understanding of the truth of the gospel need to, be, need to take place, but that it also needs to be fleshed out in the way that we live. That there are implications for the gospel. Simply saying that if this is true, if this statement is true about the gospel, then therefore it should affect the way in which we live in a certain way. And what's going to be amazing about this passage is that it's just not some random people, but who is involved in this passage that Jamie read earlier, it's Peter, Cephas. It's Peter, one of, if not the greatest, apostle. That he was Jesus' main man, his right-hand man. It's upon his confession that the church is built. And here we see Peter not properly applying the gospel. In last week's message, we talked about verses 1 through 10, and we talked about how Paul had gone to Jerusalem, and he had explained to Peter and James and the other apostles... He had explained to them this gospel that he was preaching, what we've been talking about, that it's simply through the righteousness of Christ and through faith alone that we can be saved. And Peter agrees with him. And Peter says, right, Paul, that's the same gospel that we're preaching. God has, has given you the exact same gospel that He has given us. And so as they're debating and going back and forth and they're checking the boxes and and Paul's got these ten things and Peter says, well, I've got the same ten things and and we're all on the same page. And and so if they formulated a confession of faith, it would have been exactly the same. And the other church leaders there in Jerusalem were in agreement. And and in chapter uh, 2 and verses 9 and 10, it talks about how they were, uh, Paul and Barnabas were given the right hand of fellowship and this church commended them. But then in the next verses, we see how although there was theological agreement with Paul and Peter, that Peter was not properly applying the gospel. And what we see this is going to be a challenge for us that that not only do we need to understand and affirm statements about the gospel, but that we must be diligent in applying the gospel in the way that we live, and the way we interact with others. So what, what happens in this passage? We have you know, the verses 1 through 10 where Paul was describing the situation in Jerusalem, and now he's back in Antioch, and Peter has come, and at the time Peter is eating with Gentiles. Now it's important to understand there was several things that would distinguish Jews and Gentiles as they were living among each other. One of the things that that the Jewish people did was that they circumcised their children, their male children. And this was not something that was done among Gentiles. So that was a distinguishing mark. Another distinguishing mark was in the type of foods that were eaten and that were allowed to eat. So that for a Jewish person, it was not proper for them to sit at the same table with a Gentile and eat the same types of food. There were specific Old Testament laws that were meant to be followed in regard to what could be eaten and not be eaten. Now back in the book of Acts, Peter had a vision, a dream from God. And in that dream, the main point of that dream was that God was showing Peter that these Gentile foods were no longer unclean. 
and that it wasn't a problem. So Peter, as he was with these Gentiles, was eating with them like he was a Gentile. He was eating like he was one of them. That he had no problem with the type of utensils they used, with the bowls that they used, with the meats that they were cooking. He had disregarded all of the Jewish dietary laws. And there were no problems. He was properly applying the gospel. He was understanding that what unites them was not what they ate or what they drank, but their common faith in Christ. That was what united them. So he knew that all these other things had no bearing on their righteousness. That they were righteous through faith in Christ. And therefore he could eat with them and partake with them and there was no problems. Until somebody came. Until those that did not properly apply the gospel showed up. It says in verses 12, it says, For certain men came from James, who James was one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. It says that Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So Peter, up until verse 12, was properly applying the gospel. He was eating with the Gentiles, and he did not see any distinction. They were a different color, different clothes, different style of food. It didn't matter. He knew they were one in Christ together. But then those that disagreed with Peter showed up. Those that were preaching that not only one must have faith, but they also must be circumcised according to the law of Moses showed up. Those who held that, yes, you can have faith in Christ, but Gentiles, you must also take our dietary laws and eat what we eat, dress like the way we dress, use the utensils we use, and then you can be considered part of the people of God. And Peter knew this, and he knew this is what they thought when they showed up. And so what did Peter do? He did the same thing that he did in the face of the servant girl at the trial of Christ. He feared man instead of fearing God. And he backed away. Says he backed away. So he saw these people coming. So, so intellectually, he knows what the truth of the gospel is. But it says that he drew back, separating himself, fearing the circumcision party. So is he fearing God? Is he fearing the truth of the gospel? He's fearing man. He's fearing the consequences of man. He's fearing what he knows to be a distortion of the gospel. He knows it. And so he backs away. And his backing away has implications. Because is Peter a respected man? Yes. Do these people know who Peter is? Yes, they know who he is. He is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only just apostle, he is the apostle of apostles. This is Peter. Not just some other guy, but Peter. And so people are going to be influenced by those who are in authority positions. And Peter was in a position of authority. And so when people saw Peter back up, these other Christians that are with Peter, these other Jewish Christians that are with Peter, who are likewise partaking of the, of the food with the Gentiles, when they see Peter back away, when he drew back, It says the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them. So that even Barnabas was led away by their hypocrisy. Now Barnabas was Paul's right hand man. 
that he was Paul's right-hand man in taking the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And that when they were in Jerusalem, it was Barnabas that stood up with Paul, saying that, that yes, the gospel is faith alone, that it doesn't include circumcision. And so Paul saying, even Barnabas was taken away by this. And so that Peter and Barnabas and all the other Jewish Christians backed away and they separated themselves from the Gentile Christians. They ceased applying the gospel. They ceased applying the gospel. So what does Paul do? He could have said, well, I wouldn't have done that. I just left it at that. Paul doesn't. He doesn't stand by idly. But he writes these amazingly strong words. He says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if though you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul doesn't stand by. Is Paul jealous of Peter's popularity? Is he trying to, to show people that, that he's a better apostle than, than Peter? Is he trying to steal Peter's glory? Does he have a personal conflict with Peter? He just doesn't like Peter? Now what is the specific reason that Paul does this? He saw that Peter's conduct was contrary to the gospel. So, so the assumption that Paul is making is that there are certain types of conducts that are contrary to the gospel. And Peter's conduct was not in step with the gospel. That Peter was not keeping in step with the gospel. And Paul knows, he's thinking like, wait a second. I was just in Jerusalem, and we just talked about this with you, Peter. And we agreed that all these things are good, that, that these, these dietary laws are, are meaningless in, in regards to righteousness. And now you're backing away? And so Paul stands up and says, wait a second, Peter. Hold on one minute. I'm going to call a snake a snake. And right now you're being a snake. Because you know the truth of the gospel. You know that what unites us is not what we eat, and not whether we circumcise or don't circumcise, but faith in Christ alone. And now you're acting like this. An hour ago you were acting like a Gentile. You were acting like a Gentile, even though you're a Jew by birth. And now, although you're going to act like a Gentile, you're going to make these Gentiles act like Jews just because these other people showed up? And Paul says that is not in step with the Gospel. Now the important thing for us this morning is thinking about how would this apply and what's the significance of this for, for Redbud. Because we... We don't have laws of circumcision and non-circumcision. And, and we don't have dietary laws necessarily. So how would you apply this? Are there things that, that I could do or that you could do? And then if Paul was here, he would stand up and say, Wait one second, Redbud. You are not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. Are there things like that? I think that there are. In a general sense, if there is anything, 
If there is anything that we put down that is a non-biblical requirement for what it means to be a Christian or even a good Christian, then we are not walking in step with the gospel. So let's think about just a few, we could think about a lot of maybe specific points of application, but trying to think through maybe some that may be relevant. Some of them may apply to you, and some of them may not. But one thing, there is, uh, uh, trying to think of specific things, one that comes to mind is there is a concept within uh, evangelical circles that someone can't be a Christian and have a tattoo. Now, do I have a tattoo? No. Do I plan on getting a tattoo? Not planning on it. Do I want my kids to get a tattoo? No, not necessarily. If they ask my advice, would I advise them to get a tattoo? No, I wouldn't. But is getting a tattoo directly contrary to the gospel? And the answer is no. So that's just one example to, to where we say, well, I know we're united in faith, but did you see what he's got on his right arm? <laughs> And so what happens is we, we begin to, to look at that person in a way differently than we would someone who didn't have a tattoo. And so we don't embrace them the same way. We don't interact with them in the same way. And you know what Paul would say if he saw you doing that? He would say, you are not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. Because are you united on the basis of who who has tattoos and who doesn't? Or are you united in faith in Christ? Another way we commonly happens in our society is the identification of political parties. The assumption is, is that, well, if you're a Christian, therefore you will be a Republican and you will vote a certain way. There are a lot of issues that I think the Republicans have right. There are some, maybe the Democrats have right. The question is, is there, we're not debating Republicans and Democrats, but the question is, is there a biblical mandate on political party affiliation? Is there a biblical mandate on political party affiliation? And the answer is, no, there is not. But the way our minds work all the time is we we assume that this party has the more understanding of biblical Christianity. So if all of a sudden you find somebody who says they're Christian and that they happen to vote Democrat, it's a bit of a, a contradiction. And you think, well, either they're lying about being a Christian or either they're lying about the fact that they voted Democrat. Because those two things can't both be true. And so again, you say, well... Nice guy, but did you know who he voted for our last election? And we begin to separate to some degree. So what would Paul say if he heard us talking like that? That he would say, you are not in step with the truth of the gospel. Are you united on your political party? Are you united in faith in Christ? What about economic status or or skin color? Do you embrace people of a different economic status than you are 
in the same way you embrace people who are of the same level you are. Do you embrace people of a different color? Do you interact with black people and Hispanics the same way you do as white people? You don't have to answer the question publicly. But make sure you're answering it privately. Would you interact with a brother in Christ who was an African American the same way you would a brother in Christ who was who was white? Would you interact with a brother or sister in Christ that was Hispanic the same way you would as one that was white? Is an African American welcome to come here and join our church? Is a Hispanic welcome to come here and join our church? If the answer is no, what would Paul say? He would say, you are not keeping in step with the truth of the gospel. He would say, well, how is that Paul? And he would say, are you united by your skin color? Is that what unites us this morning? Is that what brings us together that we just happen to all be white? Are we happen to all fall within the same tax bracket? Are we all happen to all like the same type of music? Are we all happen to all dress the same way? Is that what unites us and keeps us together? If it is, then we're not a church. We're just a social club. The church is united by one thing. What unites us is not skin color. What unites us is not what we make or what we wear or what type of music or whether I have a tattoo or don't have a tattoo. Or whether I watch rated R movies or don't watch rated movies or whether I'm a Republican or whatever Democrat. Those things which often we like to put people into different categories are not what unites us. What unites us is one thing, the gospel, that we profess faith in Christ. So if you profess faith in Christ, and you trust in Him alone for your righteousness, and you trust that His death was sufficient to satisfy God's wrath against you, and your hope is in His resurrection that one day Christ will return and we will be raised with Him, And live for eternity. If you hold those truths sincerely and firmly in your heart, then you are welcome. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what music you like, what tattoos you have, what you do. I don't care. We are united in the gospel. And nothing else. And we cannot make the mistake that Peter makes here. To where he begins dividing and separating on grounds other than the Gospel. And if Peter can make this mistake, I mean, this is Peter. Peter! If he can make the mistake, how much more am I prone to make the mistake? How much more are we prone to make the mistake? So so the encouragement is, you can make the mistake, and we all make the mistake. So let us repent, and let us be confronted by what Paul has said to Peter, and let that be our word, Paul's words to us, and, and confront us, God, through the words of Paul. And let us repent of that, and ask God's forgiveness, and seek to do everything to make sure that we are walking in step 
with the gospel. So, are we walking in step with the gospel? And the answer is no. Then the words that Peter spoke to Paul, excuse me, the words that Paul spoke to Peter, stand as conviction upon our hearts and souls this morning. And the assumption is, because of the relationship that Peter and Paul enjoyed later, is that Peter recognized that Paul was right. And he repented of these things. And he acknowledged his wrongdoings. So will we repent of our wrongdoings? How fitting it is that we partake of the Lord's table this morning. So much significance is is pictured and given to us in the table. But one of the things that we'll see in in a moment is that we will have one loaf. And in Corinthians, Paul says, why is there one loaf? He says, there's one loaf, therefore there is one body. So it is the perfect representation of being reminded of what unites us is the fact that we are in union with Christ's broken body and His shed blood. And not with other things and hobbies and skin color and economic status and all these other things that we like to divide upon. But we are united in Christ and in Christ alone. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.